0: I do love that. I hope we uh, want to be more and more like a family, more and more like a, a family, right? Which, which um, is what Scripture calls the body of Christ, the family of God. That the church is intended to be another family for people, and we're growing in what that means, and we're growing to learn what that means. And I think because we're not a huge number of people, we maybe have a, a little better chance of um, the family dynamic. Um, Which also means, you know, sometimes we irritate each other, because, like, what family doesn't sometimes irritate each other? And um, I know this doesn't happen in your family, but, you know, sometimes we... uh Oh, it does, maybe? No. It does or doesn't happen in your family. Okay, one of them saying yes and one of the loof bros is saying no. So so right there they're disagreeing. Right. So so I know we don't agree with everybody all the time in our family, but this is part of what family is, right? That as the body of Christ, despite our different opinions on all this other stuff, and even our different different opinions sometimes on how to interpret scripture or or theology, we want to be a family that goes, huh, that's interesting. <laughs> Um, but I'm not going to disown you over your different perspective. Uh, We're going to be a family, which helps us learn how to love people, right? You know, Jesus says, love your enemies. Um, Isn't it harder sometimes when you feel like your family member sort of looks like an enemy, right? But the culture would tell us that we are enemies, and we've got to polarize, and I can't love or be kind to that person, or I'll love them in word, right? But Love without action isn't really love, right? So I think that's just part of the beauty of going, hey, we don't see things all the same, and we're learning to love each other. We're learning to love one another. And part of that is tied into this idea that Jesus um, puts out there, which is really a challenge. The story in Luke 15 of the prodigal son. And this is our third week in a series of messages about what I'm calling prodigal sons, um, and this comes from my favorite story that Jesus tells. In Luke chapter 15, uh, Jesus is teaching a group of people, hey, here is what the heart of God is like. Like, you might think it's one way where you got to be separate from each other and all agree on stuff and judge each other when you're not. Mm, that's not the heart of the Father. And so Jesus is brilliant. He uses story because story is the language of the heart, and he tells this story churchy folks, we know the word parable, right? He tells this story, this parable, about a father who has two sons. And so we looked at the younger son last week, and we're going to start looking at the older son this week, and I'm planning next week as well. But since we spent two weeks on the younger son, I'm just going to summarize that. If you want to look it up later, it's this passage here, Luke 15, um, begins with chap- uh, verse 11, and let me just summarize that part of the story in case you weren't here or you need a refresher. Uh, Jesus tells a story, right? It's a father who had two sons, and the younger son, disrespectfully demanded what wasn't his, takes his share of the inheritance, wanders off to a distant country, and blows it in wild living, and then he realizes, I'm screwed. I got to come home, and he doesn't think he's going to be able to quite come home. And be a son again, so he's going to be a hired servant, but he does come home. And the beauty is the father embraces him, welcomes him back in fully, even though he had really, really screwed up. In fact, not just welcomed home, they throw a party, we read in the passage. And I think if we honestly all look at our lives in one way or another, some of us to maybe a greater degree than other, but all of us can relate to that younger son. Uh, We are all prone to wander our hearts uh, can look to different things to try to satisfy this, this stuff that only God can provide. And so we walk away from God, this Father who loves us and, and cares for us. And when we do that, and we all do that, it's like trying to drink from a well that leaves us even more thirsty. But if you've ever wondered, <laughs> um, you know that when we come to our senses, like the younger son did, we come back to this God. We return to his father heart. We're forgiven. We're embraced. His grace is truly amazing. And again, this is part of who we are here at Hope. Like, hey, nobody is perfect. It says on the front sign, right? Nobody's nobody's perfect. Um, We all need grace. You can come as you are. That Hope is a place where anyone can come And then find and follow Jesus. We do that together. And the prodigal son, again, it's just this beautiful picture of the kind of folks that all of us are, um, and a place, a family, where folks can be welcomed back into. Now, before we get to the older son, I wanna rewind up to verse one of Luke 15, um, because looking at the context of these stories is very, very helpful. And we do that a lot around here, and so I want to back up and just read the first couple verses of Luke 15. Jesus is uh, talking to an audience of people, remember, um, and this tells us what his audience for this story was, which tips us off to why he told the story. He told the way he told it. Luke 15, now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So there's two very different kinds of people in the audience, right? The first group, I guess they were calling them the sinners, right? Uh, there were tax collectors in that group who were seen as traitors to their own countrymen. This group was seen as you know, the spiritual losers, but they were flocking to Jesus, really drawn to Jesus. And then there's this other category who would think of themselves as spiritual giants. You know, they're Pharisees, they're teachers of the law. They are devoted to following the religious laws of Judaism. And this group, the religious folks, couldn't understand, what is Jesus doing? So they're muttering, it says they're muttering to each other, who's this Jesus guy, right? He claims to be all holy, but he eats with them? He's hanging around them? Now, you know, we see this who he eats with thing. Um, it might not be as understandable, but back then, who you ate with was a really big deal. In fact, if you shared a meal with something, uh, someone, um, uh, which is called extending table fellowship, uh, if you shared a meal with somebody, you were indicating that you saw them uh, as someone that was kind of an equal, on par to you. You accepted them. It was an offer of peace and friendship, and so Jesus is eating with Sinners, which you just don't do, Jesus. And so the religious leaders, they're all offended and they're saying essentially, <laughs> Jesus, you know, he's watering down the faith. No wonder he's popular and draws lots of crowds when he, when he trashes all of our traditions. He's no different than they are. No wonder he's got all these people flocking around him. So they're trying to use shame, right? They're trying to shame him, they're trying to criticize Jesus, and maybe they're hoping that he's going to be embarrassed they're probably muttering just as loud as, you know, Aunt Mabel does when she pretends she doesn't want you to hear, but she wants you to hear. She's being kind of <laughs> passive aggressive. Like. They're hoping he's going to hear this and, oh, he's going to be embarrassed. Or, or maybe he'll apologize. Oh, you guys, I'm really sorry. And he'll straighten up and fly right. Um, or maybe what they might really hope for is that Jesus is going to finally yell at these dirty, rotten sinners, right? So this is the setting this story is told into. And when Jesus tells this story, and actually the two short stories before it, all of these stories, he's sending a clear message to these self-righteous religious types. He's essentially saying, hey guys, not only do I not apologize for accepting these people that you look down on, you guys need to know that flat out, what you see is the true heart of God. This is what God's heart looks like. And so you're missing out. Now, that would make it tense already, right? (laughs) That Jesus is confronting that kind of mixed crowd of different perspectives and very different values. He talks about the younger son, and they're like, oh, he's talking about sinners. And God rejoices when they come home. So (laughs) then Jesus introduces another character into this story. And if you thought things were tense before, we haven't seen anything yet because Jesus is going to, about to turn up the heat here. Some might even say that he's picking a fight with the religious folks. Again, first half of the story about the younger son. Father embraces him, calls for a party, and then listen to this in verse 25. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house... He came near the house, he heard music and dancing, so he called one of the servants and asked him, what was going on? Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. Then the older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father came out and pleaded with him, But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never even gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead but he's alive again, he was lost and now he is found. So, we're gonna look at this part of the story this week and next week and I think there's two significant but often overlooked things in this parable uh, because it reveals that, friends, there is more than one way to be lost, right? It's just as possible to be lost when you're in the father's house as it is to be lost like the younger son who went to a distant country. See, countless people end up lost, not like that younger prodigal who wandered off and made a mess. A lot of people do wander off that way, but a lot of folks are lost because they believe that they are earning God's love and acceptance with their obedience. That's the older brother, right? That's the religious leaders. And though we might not say it out loud, friends, we can really sometimes act just like the older brother and the religious folks and start to believe that God owes us, that by doing the right behaviors, God owes us. But this is not how the father runs his house. It's just not. So let's walk through the first part of this older brother story. So... Older brother's in the field. He's been out there every day, probably every day. Like, he's that kid, right? He's the one who stayed home. He worked hard. He followed the rules. He's not slacking off. He's not leaving it to the servants. He's out there working. He's out there working. Um, Is there anybody here that you started working and earning money from, like, a young age? Anybody have a job as a younger person? Yeah, just... Like, um, who, who, had, who had a job, your first job, started earning money before the age of 12? Just raise your hand. 12 or under. Leave your hands up. Uh, who had a job and started, or leave your hands up if, you, if you're 12. We're going to take it down. Who had a job uh, from the age of 10 and under earning money? Anybody? Anybody? Okay. How about from the age of 8 or under earning money? How old were you? How old were you, Rock? Probably seven or eight. About 7 or 8? Paper route, amen. I was an eight year old paper boy. I think you beat me at seven, so you got that one. What were you? Nine. Somebody else that was young? What was yours, Andy? Rocket scientist, age of eight. I knew it. I knew it, right? He was working the mines, that's right. Andy's not that old. Well, maybe. He is. Um, all that money, he's kept himself looking good. So, um, yeah, I had my first paper route when, when I was in second grade. In Minnesota where, you know, it snows, um, I might have had a little help from my dad. Sometimes when it snowed, I did have some help. I'll give him some credit here, right? But you know, we have that good old Midwestern work ethic, right? We get it. We get the older brother here. We're like, yeah, this older brother, he's got the good old Eastern work ethic, I guess. But um, So he's out there, right? He's working. He's hearing the music, but instead of, here's the party, and instead of going inside, he calls over a servant, and servant says, hey, we decided to throw a party because your older brother's come home. And this, friends, this phrase here, this is the moment right here. Verse 28, the older brother became angry and refused to go in. He got ticked. And some of you, right, you hear the story, and you're going, well, yeah, because he's the only rational one, right? <laughs> right? The older brother is the only sane person in the story, right? The older brothers were like, yeah, this younger brother, he's been out squandering the inheritance and his father throws him a party? Like, what is that, that going to teach him? I mean, if you want to send the message, okay, kids, you can just do whatever you want, wherever you want, whenever you want, just go squander, no big deal. <sighs> really? Way to go. Way to go, Dad. Way to go, Dad. Real cool lesson to set up in our family here. I tell you what, this is not how I'd run my household. If it were me in charge, we would not be having a party. He would have to work his way back in. He would have to make up all the money that he had blown and pay it back. And then maybe we could talk about it. See, the older brother, right? He became angry. He refused to go in. And so some of us don't blame him, right? Like, I love a party. I enjoy a good time. But maybe I kind of trend toward that older brother a little bit and I kind of understand him a little bit because, um, you know, I want people to do the right thing. I want to see people do the right thing. Like, I've seen people blow up their families and their lives and their ministries and their churches by doing stupid stuff. And listen, again, when they do, I want to be someone that embraces them, welcomes them back with amazing grace. We figure out how to work it out. There's amazing grace for all of us. So, I'm all about the younger son getting welcome back. But amazing grace doesn't mean that the damage that we did was instantly fixed. Like, forgiveness can be really quick. Can be. From God, it can be. It is right away, right? Forgiveness is quick, healing usually is not. So, I do. I believe that, that if you live the way that Scripture and Jesus. us to live, it's just better. like. And oh, by the way, it's the way God has asked us to do it, and I'm pretty sure he knows what he's talking about. So there is, there's a big part of me that totally connects with the older brother, I totally get him, I don't blame him. And I know for you guys, maybe like, you know, it's a tough pill to swallow when you've done the right thing, and it didn't work out for you, right? And then someone else hasn't, but it worked out for them. Is there anything more exasperating in life when that happens, right? You do the right thing, they don't. You don't get, they do. Um, maybe remember being in school. Being in school. Um, some of you are in school right now, right? And, and you studied for the test. Remember this? You studied for the test. You did your best, but you didn't get the grade you wanted. Maybe you didn't even pass it. Anybody ever have that happen? Me, I'm in that. Okay, thank you. a couple of us. So that happens for you, you worked hard, you didn't get it. Meanwhile, Captain Goodtime went out and partied like it's 1999, <laughs> didn't study, actually cheated on the test and passed. How does that make you feel? Some of you experience this in your relational or your dating life, right? You've tried to do the right thing and date the right way and make the right choices. Meanwhile, other people you know, they haven't been, but they're the ones with the relationship right now. They've got the boyfriend or the girlfriend. How's that? hit hey, you? Yeah. Some of you know what this is like at work, in your job, right? You've done all the right things. You've tried to go above and beyond. You've showed up on time. You've showed up early. You've tried to be a team player, but it didn't work out for you when the promotion time came. You didn't get the promotion. And even worse, the person who tried to step on everybody all the way to the top is the one who got the promotion. And we go, hey, God, how does that make sense? How does that make sense? It's frustrating, right? Anyone? See, there's a little bit of the older brother in each of us, isn't there? See, the older brother, he's mad. He's going to go sit outside. He's going to sulk. And remember, Jesus is poking at the Pharisees in this older brother part of the story here. And they would notice something that we might not catch right away. And he's saying this is what they're doing. This refusal of the older son to come into the party, it's another cultural piece for us to understand. It was a very serious deal to Jesus' listeners. Because in those days, in that culture, The oldest son, the older brother here, would have a kind of semi-official responsibility to joint host with the father at a public celebration like this. To mingle with the guests, you know, make sure everybody has enough food to eat, stuff like that. He would be expected to co-host. And then, if he had some, you know, arguments with the father, he'd be expected to bring those to the father later in private, so when this brother refuses to go in, it's a highly dramatic action to Jesus' listeners because the son is deliberately, openly choosing to humiliate his father in front of everyone. And everybody here in the story would like, whoa, 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 right? They, they would expect the father to be furious. And the father would have every right to be furious. He could simply... Order his son, get in that house. He didn't have to reason with his son, just get in the house. Parents understand, right, how this works, don't we? Right? When I was a kid and I tried to get out of something that my parents wanted me to do, I would often say to them, well, why? Right? Why? And then again, well, well, why? Still, why? 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 And they might reason with me for a little while, but eventually, when they got tired of my negotiations, But they couldn't think of any other reasons why they would fall back on a naked appeal to power and authority, using the same phrase that all parents since Adam and Eve use, why should you do that? Because I Oh, you have the same parents, right? Man, I hated that when I was a kid. I swore when I become a parent, I'm never going to say that. But then I had a child of my own and for the first 15 years of his life. That was one of my favorite sayings, so... So the father here, right? He could order the son, right? Get in here because I said so. And the son would probably do it, right? He apparently understands about orders and obedience and doing what you're supposed to do. But listen here. Just as we found was true for the younger son who wanted to come home as a hired servant, the father doesn't want just another hired servant. Not in the younger son, not in the older son, and not in you and me. See, God's top priority for you and me is not external obedience. He wants to be connected to our heart. And that cannot be forced. A heart can't be given grudgingly. See, there's a door to your heart, and you alone hold the key, and God Almighty himself will not force that door open. So the father here goes out in humble love. Even though he could come out in power to force the deal, he comes out in humble love. Nobody would expect him to do that. But just like he went to the younger son, as the younger son's coming home, goes out in humble love, runs to him, embraces him. We expect judgment and anger. We see something different in the older son, same thing. We'd expect judgment and anger and he comes to the older son in humble love as well and and the text says he pleads with him although he didn't have to do that what a father even so the younger son or the older son he won't go in in a strange way it's almost like he seems to enjoy the resentment he likes torturing himself sitting out there on the front porch hearing the music but not going inside Maybe it feeds his sense of self-righteous superiority. He refused to go in. So he's missing out. He's not only missing out on a great party. He is missing out on the freedom that comes from trusting the Father's heart. Trusting that even when I don't understand, I trust the Father's heart. He knows what he's doing. The next thing that happens here, and we won't read through it this week, we read through it earlier, then after the father pleads with him, right? <clears throat> the older son gives his speech, right? He's got a speech. Apparently, these sons are really good at their speeches. The younger son had a speech, right? The older son, essentially, his speech is, I have been slaving away for you, slaving. Ooh, who's does that sound like? A hired servant. I'm enslaving away for you. It isn't, it isn't, he uses the other F word, fair. It isn't fair. And listen, in some ways, he's right. We looked at why we think it's not fair. It's not fair. In some ways, it ain't fair, right? But in other ways, he's not correct because the truth is, it's not about being fair. It's not about fair. It's not how life works. It's not how the Christian faith works. You know, in some other religions, it might be about fate or earning or deserving or being good enough. But Jesus turned all that upside down. It's not about fair. It's about grace. See, the truth is, we don't deserve anything. If we were to get what we deserve, we'd get nothing. (laughs) That's why there's grace. There's grace for each one of us. And you know, when I'm the younger son, and I'm wandering or being stupid, I love grace. I love grace. But when somebody else acts like an idiot, (laughs) sometimes then I wish things were fair. (laughs) And when I act that way, I start to see my reflection in the older son. So what's the problem with the older son? What's the problem with the Pharisees? What's the problem with us when we act that way? Well, the older son, the Pharisees, and us when we act like older brothers, um, we've missed the heart of the father. We've missed it. We've missed it. See, the son here has misunderstood the kind of relationship that the father wants. Have you ever done that? Have you ever missed the relationship with the father because he didn't do for you what you thought he should do for you? I have. I have. And the father is brokenhearted. Father's brokenhearted. Essentially, I hear in his words him saying, listen, son, I, I want a relationship with you. That's my heart. That's my heart. <sighs> See, I believe, friends, that when we get caught up in the fairness game, when we get caught up in the fairness game, I think our father would say to us maybe something like this, I know, I know, I know that you're disappointed that that promotion's not going to happen. But I still want a relationship with you. Can, Can we have that? Or maybe your dreams of a marriage didn't work out, or you did get married, and it's been painful or difficult, but your father, God, would say to you, yeah, I know, I know you're disappointed, I know, but I still want a relationship with you. Can we have that? You didn't get the grade. <laughs> you didn't make the team. But, but, but that's not why you're here, is it? Is it for that? For the stuff you thought you were gonna get? Is that why? <laughs> See, thinking God owes you distorts the relationship that the Father wants to have. So I'm just gonna ask you this point blank, honest question here. Does God owe you? Does he? Does God owe you? And let's, I'm going to ask you guys to take it seriously. It's a good question for you, too. Yeah. Does God owe you? Does he owe you? You know, we can walk around with kind of this edge to us, or we can try to kind of laugh it off, or we can be like the older brother, right? Like, hey, God, you haven't given me what I thought you were going to give me. You owe me. <laughs> you owe me, God, how can you let that happen to me while they skate through life? You haven't come through, God, you owe me. How dare you give them that? You haven't given that to me. I mean, I I tithe, I give, I serve, I read my Bible, and I pray, I try to be a good person and help people. When do I get blessed like they do? See, what happens? What happens when we behave that way? Because we can behave that way, right? When we, when we act like the Father owes us, what happens when, when, when the relationship with the one who created you, that relationship is marked by you and I having this kind of entitlement of, well, you were supposed to do this, and you didn't, and you owe me. Clay Scroggins uh, points out that we begin to assess every situation be- based on what we think is fair, like we become the fairness police. Like, oh, hey, she didn't do things right. <laughs> I mean, come on, God, don't you know what she did back in high school? I mean, everybody knows what she did on spring break, and then you let her get into that college? I mean, well, thanks. I mean, way to go, God. I mean, that's very surprising to me that you would do that. Right. Or, oh, wow, yeah, seriously, God, after the... The promotion that he got after that, he gets that after all that happened on that business trip, and everybody else knows, and then they still allow him to move forward, and you let him get that promotion. I mean, that's just sad, God. Totally not fair. I God, I don't even know what to say to you about this. <laughs> I mean, most people don't have the courage to talk to God that way, but you know, we feel that way often, if we're honest. We think it's not fair. And I think Jesus would say, if you want to experience the freedom that comes from living loved by the heart of your father, then you got to put down the badge of being the fairness police. That's just not the way God's family works. Like if we think deep down inside that God owes us, then our relationship with him becomes totally transactional. We take on this victim mindset of, well, I'm not getting enough. We start to elevate what we haven't gotten above what we have gotten, and it's hard then to be grateful about anything, because when you feel entitled, then we begrudge anyone who gets something that we think is unfair, and it just changes how our relationship and connection with God feels. Like, like, hey, hey, I've been slaving away. Where's my, where's my goat? Like, I followed the rules, therefore you owe me, God. And I want us to think about that this week. Does God owe you? He owe you for your right behavior, for your actions. And is that why we obey him? Is that why we do what we do? Is that what we're in this for, for the stuff, for the blessings? Or maybe we're in it not because of the father piece, but we're just trying to avoid going to hell? See, God offers relationship. It's mind-blowing that we get to be not slaves, we get to be with a father who sees us as sons and daughters. And when we lose track of his heart for us, we can quickly become these older brother types who live like hired servants. And that is how the older son was lost, just like the Pharisees were lost, even though they obeyed the rules and stayed at home. So Jesus confronts the Pharisees, the religious folks. And I think he uses this story to shine a light on the older brother in all of us. Now, I'm going to move to uh, a couple of quick things we can do this week. But I just want to say this because we talk a lot about who we truly are according to our identity in Christ. Um, Because what I notice when I think about this older brother thing, I can start getting really heavy and start feeling guilt and shame, which is not the intention here. What I notice is that even as we are followers of Jesus, we can quickly move back and forth between having this generous heart like the father or we can like have this kind of constricted deal like the older brother. It's not always one or the other. We kind of can go back and forth. But, but here's the good news. If you are a follower of Jesus, the truth about you is that the heart of the father is already wired inside of you, right? Operating from the heart of the father because you are his child is the most natural thing for you to do in terms of what's congruent with who you really are in Christ. Which is part of when, why when I do act like the older brother, I get cynical, I get bitter, I get cold, and my heart doesn't jive because it knows that's not who I truly am. And if I stay camped out in that older brother place, then the joy of life gets drained out from me. But isn't it a relief to know that as a son or a daughter of the Father, you have his heart in you, and we can live out of his heart instead of drifting into this kind of fairness deal? I plan to come and wrap this up next Sunday because there's so much more, but I do want to give us just two things, and these will be hopefully helpful in your small group discussions this week, but it'll be helpful for you at home as well, I hope. Um, First thing is this because we can have these older brother tendencies we can start feeling entitled or get upset when you know life isn't fair but i found that the antidote for the whole unfair thing the antidote is gratitude it's gratitude so if we want to get past this disease of comparison we need to learn to practice gratitude like i did this several times this week even while i was prepping this message like You know, I started feeling the pull towards something seeming unfair. How come this guy has this great job and this great life and this church or that or whatever, right? And I had to stop and consciously choose to list and focus on the things that I am grateful for. And it works, by the way. It actually works. Redirects our attention to gratitude. So can we be grateful? Can we be grateful for our life, our work, our relationships? Can we be grateful for this imperfect church family God has given us? Can we be grateful for the salvation that God's offered to us? And can we be grateful that God has offered for us to live not as hired servants, but as beloved sons and daughters? Can we live that way? Instead of looking at social media and going, well, why, that can't, why can't that be me? Can we stop, refocus, and look for things to be grateful for in our own lives? Because we do have a choice. So will we choose to fixate on the unfair stuff like the older brother or will we practice gratitude and reflect the heart of the Father? Worship team, will you come? So the one is to practice gratitude this week and second, let's just focus on living as sons and daughters of God this week. as God is our beloved Father. Before our giving or serving or obeying, we just need to be sons and daughters, to receive the love of God. And yeah, it's important to do the right thing because doing the wrong thing isn't healthy and there's consequences. But let's put that aside. Because the places in us that identify with that older brother, can we come to a place where we honestly would say to God, God, I'm not here for this stuff, I'm not here for the stuff. The reason I stayed at home is I want to be with you, God. I'm not trying to get you to love me more or give me more stuff. I want to be with you, God, because it's just better. It's just better being at home. It's better being under your provision. It's better trusting you to guide and guard me. It's better being with you, Father. We come home to the Father we say, God, you're way more important to me than the stuff that I think I want or that I'm tempted to think I deserve. I remember, God, it's grace. You don't owe me anything, but you've given me the greatest thing. You've given me your love, your grace, and you've called me a son. You've called me a daughter. See, that's gratitude as well. We can be grateful for what it means to be, as John Eldridge writes, the daughter of the son of a kind, strong, and engaged father, a father wise enough to guide you in the way, generous enough to provide for your journey, offering to walk with you every step of the way. That's our father, kind, strong, engaged, wise, generous, and with you, with you. See, that's our Father God. That is how he loves us. No matter if we're wandering sons or sons that stayed at home and we're still lost, we both, we all get to come home to the Father's heart and live not as hired slaves or servants, but as daughters and sons. God, we thank you for your love. And we thank you that you love us. Let these words just soak in this morning.